0: podcast featuring legends of the past stars of today season previews and race reviews introspection opinion facts and laughs here's your host steve mathis
1: welcome everybody to the fly racing racer x podcast thanks for listening appreciate it good one today johnny o'mara david bailey on the phone together reminiscing about their uh Terrific friendship, their great careers, and more over the years. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks to Osho and the little professor for the time. Thank you, Fly Racing. They've doubled down on their effort to produce the best performance MX and off-road products. The Formula Helmet has redefined expectations and protection, ventilation, and weight. The new 2020 Vector Graphic is arriving now and can be seen on Fly Racing athletes worldwide, like Zacko at the Team USA, the Motocross Nations. From the Rion Equip Formula to the redesigned Evo DST, down to the new FR5 Boots, Fly Racing has you covered from head to toe for any riding need. Fly Racing dot com. Thank you, Alpine Stars as well. I love the Tech Seven boots. They don't have the booty, but uh, they fit my wide feet and big calves perfectly. Better, maybe better than any boot that. Uh, I've had experience with thanks to Alpine Stars for that Tech 7s. The Tech 10, though, is the most advanced booted motocross today. You'll see it on the feet of a lot of racers out there, Jason Anderson, Eli Tomac, Justin Marsha, so on and so forth. Thanks to Alpine Stars for coming on this podcast and Maxxis as well. We have all the tires in stock over there at Maxxis, Uh, all the SXXTs are there, and uh, we're going to work on a discount code for you guys as well to uh, save at Maxxis, whether it's mountain bike tires, dirt bike tires. Light truck, tires, whatever it is, Maxis.com has got you covered for the world of rubber. Um, again, thank you to those companies. Thank you, people, for listening. Can't make you wait any longer. Let's get into Johnny O'Meara and David Bailey. All right, here we go. This should be a fun one. Really looking forward to this on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. First up, uh, he's a multi-time national and supercross champion, uh, one of the all-time greats, uh, former factory Honda rider, Suzuki rider, Kawasaki rider. It's Johnny O'Meara, show. What's up, man? How are you?
0: All oh, good, man. Thanks for inviting me, and super special to have uh, David Bailey with on the other line with us. So, uh, yeah, let's let's do this thing. I'm excited.
1: Thank you, man. Appreciate it. As he said, on the line, Supercross champion, Motocross champion, Factory Honda's David Bailey. What's up, DB? How are you?
0: I'm good. Good to be with you guys and. Uh... Whatever it takes for me and
1: Johnny to hang out, I'm all in for it. Well, I'd love love to do this kind of stuff. It absolutely is a great walk down memory lane. I've talked to both of you many times for different things, but never on the same on the same line at the same time. And we know both of your bond, both of your special relationship over the years, and and rode together and trained together and everything else. So this will be great. Um, I guess let's get started. First of all, uh, Osho. How much do you and David talk these days? How much do you guys uh, reach out and and talk about racing now or racing in the old days or anything else?
0: Well, definitely not enough. We both, when we do, you know, finally pick up the phone and say hey to each other, we're all like, damn, man, what are we doing? Like, life's going by pretty damn quick. And uh, (laughs) we're just busy, though. You know, David's kids are growing up. Mine are, like, semi grown up. So it just gets busy. But... Um, yeah, not enough. So, you know, like any time, like David said in the in the beginning, there. Like, if we can just hook us up some way, even like this, or and and David, David and I just we're gonna uh, make every effort to see each other a little bit more often, definitely speak a little bit more. But I mean, we're we're still super close. It doesn't matter if yeah. we go months at a time off. Like, it's really natural. We're best friends, and always will be. We have something super special. Uh, definitely.
1: Absolutely. And David, uh, you guys have spent so much time together over the years and done so many cool things. Like Johnny says, it, may, it doesn't really matter, I guess. You just you pick up right where you left off, huh?
0: Yeah, always. And it's funny. Um, you know, we can be, it could be a couple months or something, and then he'll uh, send me a text or vice versa, and then one of us will just call the other. And it's as though we just got cut off from a really good Conversation and we just pick it right back up like it was just moments <laughs> right. ago. It's always like that. And a lot of times, too, I mean, because we've got so much history uh, that goes back for so long, periodically when we do, you know, see each other or when I just hear from Amaya, a lot of times I just start laughing because Johnny cracks <laughs> me up and he'll be like, What? I didn't even do anything. And I'm like, I know, but it's just years. And funny stories and and right. uh, good times together that brings a smile to my face always.
1: Yeah, it seems like half the time, David, I read about your guys's pranks in the magazines, whether it was fire extinguishers or or anything else, it seemed like.
0: It was always something just, you know, unexpected and, um, you know, whatever. It, I think it gets maybe a bad rap. You know, it wasn't like awful, but um, <laughs> hilarious, that's for sure. Johnny's one of a kind, and... He knows how to get me. he always does
1: uh who was the was it Stanton or was it osho with the poop sandwich, or was it both of you guys osho? I don't remember, <laughs> but the stories are out there
0: <laughs> um, i I don't know they're like kind of like what David said. There's so many stories, and <laughs> I was just kind of smiling I was smiling when David was saying all that too, just just like he said, um anything to do. There was multiple times. If you want to throw in the poop word, Stan, <laughs> Hannah. I mean, like, it's just David's probably just smiling, shaking his head right now too on the other line. Like, dude, there's. I'm laughing. <laughs> Go ahead, David. It. Uh... Oh. Go no, ahead, David. I'm, I'm just laughing listening to that. I, I think one time, if I remember, that we would test it after a Golden State race back in uh, '83 when Hannah joined the team and. Hannah would go up in front of the box van, you know, and sit in the. I mean, once you unload and start testing for the day, no one's ever backed up in the seats mm-hmm. of the box van. You know, you're at the back, right? And so, but, but Hannah would tape his ankles, and so he would go up front, and we didn't know that or forgot. And I think maybe Johnny went up there to go to the bathroom or something, and Hannah didn't know, and, and then you know. That turned into some poop, I think, and then uh, got left in somebody's truck, or you know, there's stories like that. But I don't, I don't even know them exactly. How I was there, so a lot of times things get blown out of proportion, you know. Yeah, uh,
1: Johnny, you and I see each other at the races quite a bit. Obviously, you're working with Joey Civacci, uh this past year, so we we talk every now and then at the Cowie Truck, everything else, and it's so funny because both of you have done so much. Since you since you hung up the boots, Johnny, with mountain bike racing, David, you had a, uh, the triathlons and the working at JT and working at No Fear and and all the things. Johnny, does it seem like a lifetime ago that you were a factory rider? Does it just seem like so long ago to you?
0: Yeah, to be honest, Steve, it seems like yesterday. It really? Seem okay. That long ago. Like, okay. It, it's, it's crazy. Like like I remembered. You know, days. just like, David's got a really good memory. But, like, yeah. it doesn't seem that – well, you know, we all know the time. If you want to look at years, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's decades. But um it still doesn't seem that long ago. But I think we can all and, – and I think probably even the viewers, like, everyone – you can see how quick life goes by. Like, a year is nothing anymore, especially as you get older. So, yeah, like, it doesn't feel like – Stone age to me that I, like I'm in this generation watching these guys race. It's still it's still pretty simple. It's still the same type of racing, other than the down four strokes. And uh, David and I did it like at the highest level, just like the like Eli or Ken Robson mm-hmm. It's the it, same, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you're right about that. For me, like I was a mechanic in 2005, the last year, and it's 2019, and I I can't. It just seems like so long ago that I was in the trenches holding a pit board, you know. But yeah, it it is funny like that. It, it how the time goes by. Um, David, you're from the East Coast. Johnny, you're from the West Coast. Uh, when do you first meet David, Johnny? Do you remember? I know David remembers when he first met you because David remembers everything. But uh, Johnny, do you remember when you first met David Bailey?
0: Yeah, no, I remember to the T with the uh, uh, the Winter Series in Florida. And I just happened to needed where I was number 40. He was number 45. And somehow I needed a four, like a number, <laughs> like, a back, like a number packing. I don't know if it was for my helmet or my bike. I mean, it doesn't, it sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> right. but like I, I literally walked over to him and asked like, dude, do you have a number four, like an extra one? And like, we we're both kind of in awe. Like, cause I, you know, I knew who he was yeah. and David, David will go on and say he knew who I was. So, uh, that's literally what I remember I met David one-on-one. What was it for you, David? Yeah. Yeah, I remember it we were in Orlando. Florida series was just getting kicked off. I was um, kind of a half Fox, half uh, Team Green, Kawasaki. And AMA had had, at that year, 1981, the – our front number plates had to be, like, the size of a billboard. So <laughs> that probably the standard four that he had wasn't big enough, you know. And yeah. he comes walking over to, to my truck, and he's, like, 50 yards away. And I see him coming in all this glory and J.T. <laughs> trick. I'm like, shit, there he is, you know. <laughs> and I was kind of nervous, as a matter of fact. Like, is he coming over here? And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm pretty shy. I, I knew about him, you know, I'd watched him from Mugan days. Yeah. And then uh uh nineteen eighty, you know, I'd been around to a couple of races trying to qualify. And he was in the one twenty five class, I was in the two fifty, but I was I had an eye on him, so when he was walking towards me I'm like, Man, this is it and um it was a kind of a funny icebreaker and then that same day, um he whole shot at the 250 class and was leading a little while and i think i was a second a little bit and hannah was behind me and um we sort of were you know talking about that afterwards like mm-hmm. man we were ahead of the hurricane can you <laughs> believe it and it was pretty neat uh time those first few races in florida before he headed back to the west coast to start the supercross series and, then- and um and
1: you're just like, look at this California guy, blonde hair, hanging out. You know, just thinks he's from so Southern California because there was always that stuff. It was of stuff. funny yeah. how
0: he walked over. You know, he, he kind of had this smile on his face, and it was almost like a, um, like when you look at a dog that did something wrong, they're kind of <laughs> shy. You know, he had this like, I I don't have a four. He wouldn't buy up. In ten by chance happened to have one with you and yeah. I was super stoked that I did like alright that that got started off on the right foot I had what he needed and yeah. we just have gotten along great ever since
1: Johnny do you remember when Honda you were already at Honda do you remember them saying hey we're gonna pick up this, this guy on the Kawasaki this David Bailey do you remember any of that
0: yeah I mean yeah yeah, pretty much like uh, I mean right from the get go I've all like even like David said like I already like I was a pretty good student of the sport. Like mm-hmm. I knew who had like a really cool style, you know, the technical skills and David was already like on top of my list, you know, uh, even before like right before we even met. So while maybe I wasn't all nervous to go meet him, like how David said they was like That's kind of funny to hear because I think it was just kind of meant to be like it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was like the perfect storm. Um, but yeah, I was super excited. Like, you know, when I knew David would come, come. Aboard at Honda, I knew it was going to be a good fit. Um, we were so similar on our styles. Our, you know, our MOs were exactly the same, what we wanted in, in, in our sport. And I knew it was probably going to be a pretty good partnership, like a, a training partner for me. And, and then look what it ended up being. Probably the most, the best duo of, uh, training partners or, race team guys, teammates, and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think there's been something like that ever since.
1: No, no, absolutely not. Who was who was uh, Johnny? Obviously, you know, you were renowned for your fitness, and David, you were training with Johnny. Who was the guy? Was there one of you better at cycling or running or anything else, and the other guy had to catch up? Or, or were one of you guys sort of one of you two the lead and showing the other guy, kind of, hey, let's start training. Because again, you just push each other. You pushed each other to higher levels with with off the bike fitness. But do you remember who was who was more ex- uh, excelling in a different area, David or Johnny? Each, either yeah. one of you.
0: Yeah, I remember. It was ahead. Go ahead, um, when I came to the team. Um, Johnny and Donnie were already pretty well known okay. by, by me at least yep. uh, of being um good at running i'd seen pictures and jeff spencer was a, a fixture at honda that and i'd seen you know stuff where they'd gone running and i'm thinking man you know i don't run <laughs> i i can but by the time i make it to the mailbox i got a side ache and you know pronating and my ankles hurt so i wasn't a fan of running at all okay and um but i knew that that Johnny was good at it and I was sort of feeling like, man, I I probably should run, but I just hate it. (laughs) And so I focused mostly on riding. And since Gary worked so hard with me on on getting your technique and your fundamentals and practicing and just sections rather than laps really wired, I focused primarily on that. And with Johnny, he had everything dialed. So I'm staying with at his house. In like uh, 80, early 83, end of 82. And he would go running and he would have to pick which pair of shoes that he had on the front porch. You know, like six or seven pair out there that were just like old practice bikes, trash. And he'd pick the freshest set (laughs) and take off for an hour. And I, you know, I'd be wondering like how, how long he's gonna be gone. You know, I'd be sitting on his couch watching TV or something. And <laughs> about the third or fourth time that he went running like that, I thought, man, I should probably, uh, I should say that too. <laughs> and I asked him about it, and he was like excited that I wanted to go. So he ran, I'm guessing a little bit slower with yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, how do you know how far you're going? And he just figured, you know how many minute miles and how many minutes it's been and just yeah. round it off a little higher so you're not cheating and then he just write that down in a training log and I, I saw all these training logs he had for like four or five years I, I believe up to that point point. Uh-huh. and it was like and he's running over a thousand miles a year <laughs> plus he's riding plus right. he's got this total gym and he's doing push ups all the time plus you know he was really good with business <laughs> He, he was really uh, uh, responsible in that area where I was and I just let my mom or dad, you know, my uh-huh. mom mainly take care of it. But Johnny had this little wooden desk, and he'd sit there and take care of business, mail and all that stuff, yeah, yeah. and then uh, run and then be like, okay, let's go to land And I looked at his structure and was like, okay, I can ride. yeah, And I'm pretty confident there, but... I need to be more dialed in like Johnny. So he instigated all of that from the running department and then later on I think I got a bicycle for Christmas and um right after that and then I was talking to him about cycling and he wasn't super keen to it in the beginning mm-hmm. but now look now look. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> now, now
1: look at it. Uh so Johnny in eighty three David wins 250 Supercross title, 250 Motocross title. Now you get the 125 outdoors, but you can. You probably at some point were like, "Damn, I showed this guy the ropes. Now he's beating me in Supercross."
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, no, it was never, never like that at all. We were, we were actually just totally excited for each other. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I know that's how I felt. Like, I never had was in en- envy of David at all. So. If I had to take second to David, I was I was good with it. You know, like we were carbon copies of each other, and it was it was insane to, to look back at it and think at, about it now. Like we didn't, we just did our stuff like just so picture perfect type,
2: the yeah. like
0: duplicate template. It was un- unbelievable. Um, and then yeah, as long as we, you know, David's multi-time champion, I am too. Like. It was all good. Like, I was a 125 specialist at, initially, and yeah. I wanted to be the best in the world on that, and I achieved all that. And, and David, David, Adel, you know, was not so much a 125 specialist, so I was honing in on that craft and got my championship. David's focused on bigger bikes, and and we all know his track record and resume. It's insane, you know, until his injury, so we'll see what have went on and won more stuff. So it's, it's uh, yeah, we have no... You know, jealousy at all on that stuff. Yeah. I mean, we were just trying to help each other even be better on a daily basis. So
1: that was actually one of my questions, Johnny, was like, okay, so at any point, 83, 84, 85, 86, is there any bit of a, I don't want to say a falling out, but was there any bit of a, a jealousy or slash arguments or, I mean, you see it all the time in our sport nowadays, uh, friendships come and go. Was there a point at any time between you two that, where it got a little testy, anything?
0: Go ahead, I don't remember anything.
1: Anything, really? Yeah. I yeah. That's awesome.
0: There was never, um, I mean, in 82 when I joined the team, I was just watching him and, and um, learning, you know. And then I think um, from Johnny's end, which, you know, it's at the time and, and even still to a point, and I'm sort of, you know, uh, honored and a little bit in shock, you know, especially in the early going, that he was looking at. What I had to bring to the table, thinking, man, I need to, you know, try to adapt some of that into my program so that we complement each other really well. And you know, he and Donnie did prior to that. Mm-hmm. And then when Donnie was injured and and out of it, um, it wasn't like I just stepped in to fill that gap; just naturally happened. And he was in the 125 class while I was in the 250. And then when I moved up to 500, um, he was 125 class one more year, mm-hmm. and then. Up to the 250 in 85, and I went, I was still in the so we never raced against each other outdoors that much until the the last season in 86. So I had the opportunity to watch him a lot Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And then in supercross, if I was ever really mad at anything, it was like I was kicked off at myself for blowing a one two finish between us, (laughs) whether he won or I won. Yeah, yeah, damn it, we had it because we'd ride together all week. And whether I was behind him or he was behind me, we we got comfortable with that. So yep. places, you know, like Buffalo, New York, or whatever we went one too. Mm-hmm. Um, we had it in Anaheim one year. We had it at Daytona. I think we had it somewhere else. And um, and I think we did finish one two at Sacramento. Like so many times, did the opportunity to do that, and it didn't matter. Like Johnny mm-hmm. said, who won it? It was right. just a cool thing to go 1 2 now yep. that our work was paying off
1: that that's cool cuz johnny you're you're around nowadays and you know i was on the yamaha team with reed Villeman and ferry and i was out ktm with langston and some guys and sellards like it doesn't always go that way today or the times in my experience right there's your teammates but man it seems like egos slash money slash outside influences get in the way and it's rare to see two elite guys and i mean you two were they're two of the best guys in the world not have any friction, Johnny, at all. But uh, yeah, that's cool. It didn't it didn't seem like it. There was
0: no, it never was like David said. Literally nothing. Yeah, you know, it was just none of that. I, I, we can't even talk about it. There was <laughs> none. It was just, yeah. just yeah. Some, something that was like it lined up. Everything lined up for us, and it was just like, wow. We just should we just live the moment, you know, on <laughs> a right. daily basis. On. <laughs> what if I was taking I'm running or when David first took me on the bicycle and, you know, mm-hmm. all I mean, it just, it was everything was so natural and it was just fun. Like, I really want to emphasize the people that, like, sure, we worked so hard and yep. David would vouch for it. Like, and we're seeing what I did, my workload um, on a daily basis on vice versa with David. But we just, like, it was just so fun. Like, I just can't, I can't come across any like, more forward to people how fun it was. We That's yep. why I think we were so successful, too, because we just, like, you know, sure, we did our laps yep. and, you know, pushed each other, but then, like, then we'd spend half the day just play-riding, like, just trail-riding. We're in another two tanks on trail-riding. We could sit there all day and just go, damn, that was insane what we just did. <laughs> like, just, you know, like, we'd play, we'd always play follow the leader. Like, okay, I'll lead for a while. Yep. Try this. Try to, you know, dictate what I do. Kind of copy it. Like a horse. Basketball game, you know, like like literally what we did on motorcycles on a daily basis. Like we were like we did our training, we did our laps, we pushed each other, and then let's go play at Honda Land. It was literally Honda Land. It was like going to Disneyland, Disney World (laughs) for motorcycles. There's never been another place. There's they can't duplicate that footprint, that template, and there probably never, never will be another like place like Honda Land. And I think David will vouch for that. Yeah, it was the best riding facility in terms of really tricky off-the-race track, mm-hmm. you know, Hannah Desert mm-hmm. stuff. But it was all out there. Plus, they had two outdoor tracks that they never groomed. Maybe <laughs> once a year, you would come with a couple of guys on tractors. Um, maybe once every couple of years, actually, and just sort of make a new track, but not really fix the old one. Mm-hmm. Just leave it screwed up and rough. And then in the winter when we'd test and it would be damp, there'd be the the European guys, Thorpe and Gabors and Malurb and they'd all come over and ride Works five hundreds and that place got just more and more radical. So we had the a menu with no missing things. There was appetizers, mm-hmm. there was entrees, there was side dishes, there was <laughs> dessert, which to me was the uh, freestyle stuff. Right. And we always had – I I made the mistake, I think, of always saying, all right, one one more for the road, and John would be like, no, don't say that. Because we would just – it would be like going to the driving range and you hit your last several balls, you know, really nice and straight and far, and you got one more, and you don't want to blow it, or you'll risk running out there and getting hit and in trouble just to get one and leave on a good note. Yeah. And so it would already be good enough, and then I'd have to come and say something like that. And and um, that became sort of like, don't say that because yeah. I I went out and went too far with it a couple of times. But if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have gotten into running and training. Yeah, first of all, and second of all, um, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't have done as many things out at Honda Land without him right there uh, to sometimes impress mm-hmm. or to try to keep up with. Or to sort of one up each other a little bit. Um, and to know that, hey, if I screw this up and I need a little help to get my bike out of a ditch or <laughs> back to the <laughs> car, whatever, he's, right. he's there. Yeah. You know, so there was a comfort level with us where we knew our limits really well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was the, we were willing to try stuff that was a little sketchy because, You know, we we trusted one another's ability to suck of um, when we were riding. You know, we would really pick each other's brains to size up something that we were trying to, you know, climb or Mm -hmm. jump. Um, You know, and I'd watch him go through a a section or a corner, a berm, climb a cliff and try to whip it, you know, 180 and land going backwards and just all kinds of, of skill on a bike. I'd watch him do it and then try to do it like that, that good, or try to one-up it, and then he'd watch me. And we did a lot of back and forth. It wasn't like we weren't paying attention to each other. We we had enough respect for one another to always go like, oh, I just saw what okay, that was cool, but I did another level I just saw, because if you just like back wheel touch the top of that and clutch and pass it at the same time, you can probably clear all of that whole next thing. Yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, what? And then I'd do it, and then he'd see it, and then just do it even better and just foot off right. with it. And I'm like, by the time we got home, we were better riders almost every single time we rode. And that's, that's a really important thing that put us on a trajectory that, showed Because we were up there running one-two so often.
1: Yeah, uh, I find it funny, David. That and I've heard you t- say this story before on one of our older shows. Hannah comes to the team in '83. Okay, you're a Supercross champion, you're an outdoor champion, Johnny, you're 125 champion, but you guys are still sc- sort of scared of Hannah a little bit. Like you're, you're almost like this guy's kind of gnarly. Like he's older. We got to be quiet around him. <laughs> he's, he's Bob Hannah. I just it's respect. I just find I it think funny. The main
0: thing It was just respect, you know. I mean, I was, he was a lot older. He raced against a Coster. Yeah, yeah. The Coster was like, you know, like a man. We were still, Mm -hmm. we weren't kids, but we were still kind of bordering on kids. And Hannah seemed more like, like, uh, I wouldn't say a father figure, but, but, um, you know, he'd he'd already had a pretty down good career. Yeah. And then some time off, and his second part of his career was, was just kind of kicking in, you know, with the whole Hurricane 2 deal. Yeah. And so, I, for me, I respected him a lot, and I knew that he was a, a really solid runner. And I wasn't aware of just how good he was at riding off of a racetrack. And um, so Johnny and I, we got invited to go out and follow him around in his neck of the woods, mm-hmm. Jawbone and, and places like that, where, you know, it wasn't like we couldn't do that stuff. You know, we did it just fine, but um, what brought, I mean, what Bob brought to the table in 83, that it, like, Hesperia or somewhere out there in some radical canyon on a radical track, there were times where Bob would would just do this two or three lap flurry of incredible speed. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even uh, you know, I don't know if I can go that fast and I don't even really know if I want to. <laughs> right. And I don't know if it's even necessary. It's like being Stewart when he was really on, you're yeah. like, okay, 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 okay. That's, that's not even necessary, is it? And so Hannah had that. And I think that's probably what, you know, kind of gets out in the grapevine from me and Johnny being intimidated. It would yeah. be by his group raw speed at times.
1: Yeah, Johnny. He was he was quick at times, huh? at a Honda. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. No, like I think the the perfect analogy was like what we saw with Bob was like James Stewart stuff. Like, really? Like, huh? Literally. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a perfect analogy. Like the sand, like we're in Dean Canyon at his place where he grew up, not like Honda Land where mm-hmm. David grew up. So like he could just dissect stuff and like, but totally different than David and I because we were like you know, the technician guys yep. were like super technical, like it was over our we would like look at each other, like, dude, that is that's ridiculous. Like just like David said, like why? I can't have just skimming the top <laughs> right. of, of these six foot sand whoops like Erlings could do today or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. and on the machine sure we had very very good machinery towards time, but we're talking about eighties, not like it's 2019 right now oh. how the guys can ride now like you know we're pretty limited so that's why we're so good on the technical side because we were kind of me and david would just dance through that stuff really lightly on our bikes and and where bob was just the and he was brutal to watch like um it was insane it was it was good though to have him because like like david said
2: mm-hmm. cause,
0: you know like for me he was always one of my inspirations when i you know i wanted to have like that heart and desire and that work ethic like like bob Hanna. um i had a few guys that i just like really wanted to kind of mold my johnny o O osho type style around Mm -hmm. um and then like also like the, the the work ethic well bob was a big part of my work ethic like i knew i was before i even knew him just looking at magazines. I mean that I just knew what he did. Like it like yep. it wasn't like we're googling stuff now like <laughs> these guys can do now. Like you just knew that hey, we're here on the off weekend Bob Hanna's running a marathon. Right, so I mean right. yeah, like I literally think I've got running shoes because of that. Like I had to run ten miles a day or, or if I heard Mark Barnett did it. Like it was really kind of simple. Yeah. Um mm. like but yeah, like I'll just raise it to another level Be coming on our team because, you know, he was like the intimidator. It's like Dale Earnhardt. like right uh like that type of guy like on our team and then uh you know no one ever really wanted to approach him and i was that guy And david knows like dude i i wasn't well i was a shy little kid but i was also a little cocky kid like <laughs> i got i was probably bob's best friend you know as a teammate like he just yeah. like he liked me a lot like he didn't let anybody in unless he really liked him and right. so yeah i could pull off leaving a a turd over his truck later. He, but if it was someone else, you know, like he, he would have hated that guy forever. It's like, damn, that O show is unbelievable. What he, what he could pull off. Yeah, you know, like yeah. David knows talking about. So right. um, that's just a little bit on my side of it on Bob being part of the team.
1: Uh yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, so sidetracking a little bit. You guys both talk about the workload you've done, and I've talked to Wardy about it too. We have, and I and I've, I'm not one of those guys that walked uphill to school both ways. and and say the old days are better and you guys are better than these babies today i just i don't buy that i'm not one of those guys the the guys today are gnarly as you both know and respect and you guys were gnarly back in your day but i i do have a question for both of you And i'll start with you johnny like do you think you guys overtrained? and if so like do you think you at some point had an epstein-barr virus but we didn't know it like we see these nowadays and I know. To me, anyways, Johnny, you know much more than I do. It seems like rest is more and more important than it ever was, and we're finding this out for elite athletes. Rest is important, and not overdoing it. But when I talk to David or Wardy or yourself, or you, you see these, you, you hear these stories about Hannah, Johnny. It seemed like you guys really overdid it back in the day. I, I, what, you know, where are we at with that? What are you looking back on it? I mean, what do you feel like?
0: Well, um, all I can say about it is that. Sure, we were experimenting big time yep. on on the endurance part because there wasn't a lot of uh, data for that. Like mm-hmm. we were just basing everything on what we saw, like previous guys that like um, would would be the champion in our class. And you know, like you know, like me having to beat Mark Barnett, I would just hear what he did. Like okay. so was common sense. I had to do more than him, or <laughs> vice versa. To hear yeah. about what Bob did, he was the most dominant guy. And I think what we have to also look at here is that for the first few years of our careers, they were 40 minutes plus two laps, you know? So, you know, add 10 minutes on the motos for outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, That was, that was in place still for, for us. So we were pretty, like we had to be extremely fit. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, an extra 10 minutes outdoors. And we raced in the same type of environment. These guys race today in Florida and St. Petersburg. that. I mean, it's ridiculous, like 40 minutes plus two. So I, and I say, like, I never had Epstein-Barr. I'll clarify that, right, because I was pretty still on top of all that stuff. So I did get Epstein-Barr virus, uh, and it wasn't until I was done with racing and in my mountain bike career, I okay. did have an episode of it. Yep. So I never had Epstein-Barr when, in my 20s when I was at my fittest as a as a professional athlete. Um, did I overtrain? Probably. But, I mean, it did, didn't ever seem to... I never remember being sick where I couldn't do the, yeah, yeah. do the, do the job. So like, um, that, so that's probably the only way I can answer it. And I know that doesn't give it a real, you know, confirmation on what exactly we did, but I, I really don't think that uh, I think I had such a base. I trained from such a young age Yeah. and that that workload, I could handle it. I mean, I just to be honest, and I still handle it pretty, pretty decently <laughs> to, to yeah. this day. Uh-huh. and and but you know since like my role is now is I you know i help help guy, I coach guys, I mentor, them. and then I have to evaluate these guys and how their workload is, and yeah they couldn't they can't handle a workload like what David and I did or Bob Hanna or Mark Burnett, even a Ricky Carmichael like i like I've never seen anybody have be able to work as hard as Ricky Carmichael in the generation that I saw him race, right you know right. that would be the, the closest thing that I ever saw to one I like the workload that I did when, back in my day. Right. So David could lead, lead in a little bit on his on his take
1: on it. Yeah, do you agree, David? Like, it seems like we hear these guys more and more, like, you know, and, and, and uh, Jeremy Martin, somebody who you worked with, Osho, told me that you're insane on a bicycle, and this is when he was winning national championships. You know what I mean? So, you know, this is, this is a guy half your age, Johnny, and he's telling me how insane you are on a bicycle, which I guess, David, was just another day for you two back in the day.
0: Yeah, you know, I I had a lot of uh, skill on the motorcycle, and I rode, you know, almost as pretty much till dark. And that's what I noticed with James Stewart. He rode a lot, and I think Jeremy rode a lot. Even Lachine, they rode a lot. And so fitness, for me anyway, came as an addition. Because um, I saw Johnny doing it, and I thought, okay, well, he's got a pretty nice balance of mm-hmm. being able to do... A lot of physical training and push-ups and ab work and and leg work and stuff. and this total gym we had. And we were doing toe raises all the time to get good at riding on the balls of our feet. And so I just started adding bit by bit. Before I started running, I was doing that old Rolf Tiblin thing where you, you know, leg kick things would just kill your stomach (laughs) and sitting against a wall for three to five minutes. And I would carry chopped wood stacked between two trees like 50 feet away and stack in between two other trees on a watch.
2: Oh, okay. and I did a lot
0: of tramp- <laughs> trampoline work and stuff. So even though I didn't run, yeah. I did a lot of exercise. And then when Johnny made running fun, then um, we just got to the point where he was probably already there, but I got to a point where you know, we'd kinda of be somewhere hovering around level nine or ten of like that's about as all you can do and I don't really remember getting to eleven where I was like, I can't do any more than this. Right. I don't remember having any kind of a like training was holding me back. And physically if there was some doctor that was gonna take blood work from me and say, Oh, you're not, you know, one hundred percent it didn't matter because <laughs> motocross, yeah, to right. me, it's mostly physical. it's not only physical, it's, it's a lot mental. And if I thought I was in good shape, then I raced like that. And it didn't matter if I only had, you know, 90% to give, I still gave a hundred percent of that and figured out a way to make it work. And so looking at, you know, like new guys saying, and that's only just hearsay for yeah. me, you know, but for a for new guys to say we overdid it, I think that's kind of crazy and maybe just an excuse for them to underdo it and somehow yeah. justify that. To me, I've never, yeah. never heard anybody say that I didn't do good because I was in, you know, yeah. too good a shape. To me I don't it really is just – Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't, I don't think you can err on the side of being in too good a shape. I think you can err on the side of not doing enough. And so I wanted to make sure that my glass was completely full, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe some spilling over the side. <laughs> because when I stood on the starting line, I knew that I didn't, I wasn't hoping I was going to do good. I was expecting to. And if I wasn't doing good, I was ticked off because I, right. I knew I was good enough at riding on good enough equipment. And I'd done enough work physically and tapering to the weekend um, for all that to to gel. And the, the year that I took it a little easier in 80 going into 85, yep. I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I could dial it back a little bit and still get the same results. And I was trying to find a balance and I made the mistake of doing a little bit less training and a little, having a little bit more fun. And I sucked. That's how come I was number six the last year. So mm-hmm. I was in the process of training my ass off again, all through 1986. And I'm six, one. Six one and a half to yeah. be exact and I weighed one fifty eight to one sixty all year long. Jeez. Wow. That's light. Yeah.
1: That is light, yes. So
0: <laughs> now when I see these guys are shorter than me and weighing one seventy, 170, one seventy five, one eighty, and I just think that's just way too much to carry around the racetrack. And right. now maybe racing's different requires more strength. But um at our time yeah. I think we did what was right and helped kind of pave away and a structure for others to follow. And if people would listen to Johnny, maybe they'd they'd do better, is the way I see it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by Alpine Stars and Maxis. Thanks to those great companies for supporting this podcast. Appreciate it. Alpine Stars, Maxis, and uh, Fly Racing. Three great names, no doubt about it. Thanks to Johnny O. and uh, David Bailey, man. Great stories love To get these guys on the phone talking, it uh, the only problem with this podcast is it's not damn long enough, but that's that's okay. Maybe we'll do another one. Uh, thank you to uh, those companies, thank you to people for listening. Race Tech Suspension pulp 19 is the code to save at Race Tech. Get your suspension work done right now. I've got my 2020. 2020- Yamaha YZ450 stuff out, getting done right now from the folks at Race Tech. Get motor work done if you need it. Pulp19 is the code to save. You got a vintage bike? They're uh, great with that as well. Thanks to the folks at Race Tech for making this happen. And again, uh, David Bailey, Johnny O'Mara on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Let's get back to it. What about that? <laughs> what about that, Johnny? What about being leaner? Like David said, like it's got a point. Like we don't have that many lean guys like that. We, we you know, a lot of guys are bigger.
0: Um, a little bit, but, I mean, there's still some rain. You look at Marvin; and the company, yeah, like, there's oh, sure. some rain. Um, I think there's, you know, you look at all other forms of racing. Like, everybody always thinks, like, like, oh, okay, I'm going to put on some muscle, this mm-hmm. and that. But the way I look at it is that, okay, you can put on all the muscle you want, but if you can't feed it enough, like, oxygen. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was so big into being so cardiovascular fit because, I was just a little string bean kid. I was only like one naturally one fifty, so one fifty, 150, one fifty five maximum. But you know, my muscles, you know, how I looked at them, I had just full on endurance type muscles. Like I mean, my cardio and my, my thresholds and stuff like that. I, I was extremely high. I was super athletic and gifted. So I know I was like mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of a specimen there. Yep. It is why I can do what I do even now because I was gifted in those areas. But um, that's the way I look at it. Like, you know, like, you can put in on, like, all this weight training stuff, but if you still can't feed that muscle any, any, like, red blood cells and all that and the oxygen through that, like, that muscle's useless. So you just, actually, in my opinion, it's just extra baggage. So, um, it's, kinda of simple math. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, look at all the other sports. Like I look at cyclists and stuff. And I know a cyclist is like ridiculous then, especially the road cyclists like Tour de France guys right. so they they can't have any upper body. But mountain bikers in general, they have an upper body. They have a pretty good build all around. That's why I've always kind of gravitated to the mountain bikes. I like I use my upper body a lot and my mm-hmm. core um, and all that. And so, like, it was always a really good rounded exercise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I would have been a runner probably forever, but I, I blew my knee apart. I mean, that's David's the one that got me into cycling. Like, my knee was wasted already mid 80s. So, yeah. um, that's why I went to cycling. I wish I could still run today. It was half the amount of time. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I'd, I just would have to be, I have you know, a bicycle takes twice yeah. as long to get this workout. In all reality, David would, would, have, would, Say the same on that. Yep, absolutely. You know, cycling became like um, just something else to do. And I, you know, I was pretty a big fan of Greg LeMond. And I saw an interview where he was over there and just became European cycling for America and carried America like on his back for cycling. To me, it seemed like. And he's learning. he's, He's speaking French perfectly in an interview. And can win the Tour de France. That that inspired me to go, I want to get a bicycle. And, you know, at first I thought the shorts were goofy and all that, <laughs> but then it just became like my work outfit, and I was sort of proud of it. And I thought it was neat to be able to, to get up in the morning, go for a little run, like a three-miler with my dog, and then go ride motocross, and then just leave my bike down at the dock by my lake and just strip down to my bike shorts underneath, jet ski for a little while. Mm-hmm sit there and have a sandwich and then go back out and ride some more over at the National Track and then come home and then go for a bicycle ride. Um, you know, I had it felt like I was covering all the bases but cycling seemed like, you know, you could uh you could get, maybe wear yourself out a little bit and it would take a long time and um, we're running. You could just go run for like you know, I would run motos. Mm-hmm. I'd run a moto in the morning and a moto in the evening kind of a lot of times and so you have to get your mind ready to go race. Sometimes you're sitting around, and yeah. when it's first called the staging area for the second motor, you're like, oh gosh, I don't <laughs> feel like it. I wish I felt like I did on Thursday, you yeah. know, or Monday. Right. I wish I could get that feeling. And so I was trying to teach my mind and my body to be able to, like, you know, just click and turn it on by putting a lot of time between running. And with cycling, it's just a great big thing. Running, you can go do a lot of work in 30 minutes. Yeah. And then take some time and, you know, change a tire or lube the chain, gas up, be ready to ride again, go run another moto. That made me tougher. I think if there's one thing I had to pick of all the training tools that I ever had off the motorcycle, running was number one.
1: Hmm, interesting. Uh, were either one of you... Good friends with RJ when he came to the team. Like, what was your relationship with RJ in '86? He comes to he comes to Honda. You guys are already there. Either one of you, were you okay with him, or was it one of those just a head nod in the pits? Or how was how was the relationship with RJ? Go
0: ahead, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd go first on that one. <laughs> no, like um, well, I probably had more history with him. I would raced with him more in the 250 class. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah I think that's correct what David said. I mean, and I race 125s on him a little bit, but yeah like yeah so um yeah he was just different, you know, in a way, I mean obviously yeah, yeah. he's our teammate and dude, dude, we have some history together, especially with the Motocross the nations, and like we're family now, right, but that like yeah, it was a little bit odd, was like, it you yeah. know like that was David and nice my team, you know, basically, mm-hmm. like that's something we looked at, it. I think Ricky would even say the same, like yeah you know, while he was super excited to come to Honda, but, like, he was probably like, damn, man, I'm, that's, you know, basically Bailey and O'Mara's team. Right. Or, we, that's the way it kind of looked from the outside. And, yeah, like, we were probably like, yeah, this would be interesting. And I think it was. I think David vouched for that. It was just different, you know, the environment. And and, and Ricky ended up kind of maybe trying to, you know, fit on. I don't want to make this in a negative way at all. But then, like, him and and his mechanic runners, they just kind of did their own thing. Yep. Um, it was like it was just hard for them to fit in, like especially me and David's little uh, thing we had already built. Like there really wasn't no way to fit in on that. Right, right. It was like uh, that's probably the only way I can explain it. Like other than we went testing or at the races, we were we were one, two, three at almost every race that one year. You know, literally, yeah. we would dominate dominate races but that was probably you know could have been ranked as the strongest team ever us us three guys yeah. on the the factory on the team you know yeah. so um that's how i i could like put it but like nothing negative at all like yeah, yeah. Dude, we love ricky Thoughts; he was insane like what a what an ambassador for the sport i mean such multi-time champion we just go on and on about him yeah. like the fact that like i mean you could add up all those championships between the three of us it was in Incredible! Motocross nation wins, GP wins. I mean, yeah, yeah, that that was a special threesome right there. Um, well, we had a. It... Go ahead, David. Yeah, we'd had like kind of a preview to to being teammates with Rick in '84 because we were all in the donations team together, which was two different weekends, uh, Finland and then Sweden. And even though Rick was at Yamaha, we were, you know, he was young because it was Ward and Johnny and I and Rick, I think, was the youngest and um, hadn't been there before where Ward he had in 83, and Johnny had already been twice. Um, that was the second time. So Rick was really respectful, really friendly, really funny, you know, and cool to be around and super uh, conscientious about being a good teammate. You know, like, I'll start in the back row or you start there or yeah. like, I'll follow your line. So we got a sense of what it would be like So when he came to Honda – um, he came up to Honda land and stayed, you know, I think maybe even at Johnny's house one night. And, and uh, I so he was real friendly and trying to fit in, but I think Rick and I saw that in an interview with him one time where he was going, I, I wanted to be in that yeah, scene, but it was, they were good at that. That was already their routine. And I, it wasn't fitting his. Yeah. And so, Besides him going, you know what, I, I need to do what's right for me. He also had, like Johnny said, Brian Lunas going, hey, don't, don't, yeah, we screw, need to just screw do those guys, things. right? Yeah. We don't need to be friends. Yeah. Let's win. And so, um, you know, there wasn't any sort of animosity. I think if there was anything, speaking personally here mm-hmm. on my end, it was just that um, I was already somewhat established. At Honda and Johnny's, and my relationship was established, and Rick was a little bit younger, and he could beat me. And I was anybody that could beat me, other than Hannah, I was kind of like not stoked about <laughs> it. You know, Bob beat me. I'm like, well, yeah, he's Bob, right? He should, you know. But with Rick, I'm like, I don't, I'm not good with that. Right. And Rick was capable of it, and now he's on my team, and. I'd see a pipe or upside-down forks and things kind of floating around the pits going, they just have one set of those, and he ended up on his bike, and he'd win. So I just created a a dislike in that regard, going, Mm -hmm. I I, I want to beat him. I I respected him, still do, got along great with him. He was funny, but there were times I had to just dislike the guy because, damn it, he was beating me, and I didn't. I knew I was capable of beating him, and when he wanted it more than me and and beat me, oh, it got under my skin. <laughs> <You> know, that's <laughs> the main thing. He,
1: uh, he told me Johnny uh, when he got when he joined the team, one he you you both could ride better than him. He thought he was uh, maybe you know a little bit more on on desire or or his bulldogness on a bike per- compared to you two. But he was jealous that you guys could ride better than him technically wise, and he was also like. Saying to me that he'd be like, "Hey, you guys want to go for a run?" And you guys would be like, "Yeah, we already went. We're we're good." And he'd be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like he was trying to get in there, but you guys were so tight that it just it wasn't happening, Johnny.
0: Yeah, that, you know, and David hit it on the nail too about the that you know, like basically he could beat us. Like he was that he threatened that yeah yep. uh, that that threat to us like that. So and then you know, David, that's a that natural competitiveness and like probably any champion. Um, it's almost one in that defensive mode. Like, dude, I kind of hate the guy. You know, like, that's just kind of how we had to, like, yeah. everything we did was, like, I got to, like, what, if I'm running five more miles, I got to beat Ricky Johns because that. I got to do more laps on the, on the track. Like, that's that's kind of the way we were. Right. And other than me and David didn't think about that to each other, but that's, I think we both David hit it on the nail. It's like we were threatened by him. Yep. And and obviously, like he was just a little younger, um, he definitely improved coming to our team. You know, on the Honda bike, yeah, HRC Honda was yeah, extremely, just slightly
1: yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: another another level of advantage for for RJ. Yeah, um, and we knew that, like, dude, we knew that he'd be better than he was on the other bike. Obviously, I mean, that's pretty amazing that he was so competitive on the other bike, and uh, we 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 knew he'd be he'd be amazing on on Honda, no doubt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Fly racing, Racer X podcast with David Bailey and Johnny O'Mara here. Got a few more questions, and we'll wrap it up. Thanks for your time, guys. Um, so, end of '86 comes. We know the story. You guys dominate uh, motocross the nations, uh, an all-time team. And it was, by the way, it was great to see you all three of you back there. Uh, whatever that was, three, four years ago. That was that was awesome. Um, that's where David. That's where Johnny tells you he's leaving, right, for Suzuki at that race.
0: Yes. And I thought I was kidding, you know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I mean, I kind of was, but I was like, I couldn't. It was like I, it was really hard to wrap my mind around how different it was going to be after that. So that made that race. Once I realized it was serious, and um, I just took that experience in, you know, in the first moto, just spectating from the top of a motorhome with Bobby Moore, just watching Rick and Johnny with a huge lead and Johnny on that, you just hear his bike more. Cause Rick rode a little taller gear and kind of had it like real throaty sounding. Uh Um, even, you know, compared to us and Johnny's 125 was not throaty sounding. It sounded like a herd of bees. just, he had that thing so pinned and I'm watching that thinking, this is it, you know? And then, um, the next moto we were going to ride together and prior to, going to the starting line, the, the way the rules are, you, you have to have your bike in a certain area in a certain time, and mm-hmm. it was just a, a madhouse, and his bike didn't get there in time. So as I'm preparing, you know, and putting my helmet on, to head to the starting line, trying to figure out kind of what if I should start in the front or him, they're telling me that he can't ride. And he's just sitting there staring at the ground, like, <laughs> focused, but yeah. at the same time going, do I even get to ride? Yeah. Or was that it? So he's already motivated to do well. I think that's fair to say. And then I was stoked that we were going to have one last motor together. And then to have that jeopardized by some rule thing. And then when he pulled around behind me and we lined up together, I leaned over to Roger going, is this going to be, is this going to count? He's like, yes, I think so. And watching, because I got a, a good start and then i could see from that big elevator shaft at Mm -hmm. the top can you still hear me yeah yep okay my phone beat. so i could see when he was in like fifth and then fourth and i could hear the crowd and it was just so jazzed to see him come all the way up through everybody and we did get that one two in the final race we ever did as teammates and it's Majora was special. Mm-hmm. The fact that we all won our motos and did it like that was special, but what makes it just over the top for me is that, you know, the way Johnny rode and that we got to go 1-2 in that final race together. It just will never, ever wear off how special that was.
1: Johnny, did you say to Roger or Dave Arnold, like, hey, I'll, I'll ride for a little bit less money. Can, you, can I just stay here? Do I have to go to Suzuki, guys? Do I really have to go?
0: <laughs> or were you... Yeah, you know, like, Everybody like I try to remember back, like everyone thinks I got fired and just like kicked off the team. I I really believe that there was an offer, but it was really low.
1: Okay. Yeah. And
0: I was just so I was really insulted. You right. know, like I just like really, like dude, I won races that year. Okay, I was the third guy in points and David David and Ricky there, but I understand. like I was already old enough to understand the business part of it. Yep. I was pretty primed. I had Al Baker in my corners, my manager, like I was primed for all this, even though I was only 24 years old or whatever I was then. So, like, I was pretty educated. But uh-huh. still, like, I when, you know, something like that happens, like, I remember just going, wow. I mean, I was really deflated. Like, I I thought I would retire at Honda, just to be honest. Like yeah, yeah. So, so I had to flip the switch up top, like, in my mental side. And even Al Baker helped me on all that. Like, hey, you know. You got another offer. You got a million dollars, like offer from uh, from Suzuki. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, that'll be how I'm going to unwind my wind down. And I always said, like, land the seven forty seven. I always taught it. <laughs> that there's going to be a point in your career you got to you got to land it, even though the seven forty seven's old school now. But yeah, he used yeah. to say that you got to land that thing as smooth as possible in your career. And I'm like, well, I'll land it pretty good, so I'm going to get paid pretty good here. Yep. But yeah, and but I do remember it's pretty. Ironic because, yeah, David was the first one that I told because I did already sign a contract before leaving to Italy. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, while I'm bittersweet, kind of happy, okay, I get a lot of money, you know, this and that, but I'm pissed on the other side, sure. really hurt. Um, You know, it, it just was terrible feeling, to be honest. Right. And, but I did tell David personally just because I, you know, he's my best friend and I decided he should know. And, and, Sure, it probably it probably motivated me as an individual, but our team was like we were so gonna win. Like I mean, we were <laughs> yeah. that was three best guys in the world. It right. Really helped me. Like I did tell David, you watched David. I'm not even gonna let off in the 125. He probably he remembers. And <laughs> but I would have I would have done that anyways. Like that track was. Well it was a hilly track, but it was perfect for a little one twenty five. I could go so much faster down those hills and in those corners. Yep. I passed through so quick on that corner just shooting up in gears. He weren't even on the throttle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like it was easy. Okay, they could come get me on the uphill, but I had so much momentum I just had momentum on my side all day. Right. And that one twenty five that Mickey Diamond won the championship on that that year was a rocket ship. I mean, that was a extremely fast one two five. I was I was pulling two Standard two fifties. I was just going right by him. Yeah. I wasn't passing Ricky on like on a works bike. but um. So, but I did remember Roger saying after the race, it was kind of pretty funny. Like, hey, we we need to sit down and maybe try to work this out. Oh, like, really? Oh, the only thing I, I only kind of remember that. Oh, like, wow. It was Roger, and Dave, Dave, and I go. I told him I already I was done. Like literally, I. Already, cause no one knew. Right. But like, I, I always think it's funny. Like how it takes performance like that. That they would reconsider. Like I mean, you know, yeah. I love the Honda team. Always will. They are like family to me. But literally, our performance that day, I think I even had like the the TM company, that Italian yeah, company, yeah. Yeah. To me, yeah. offered me like a million dollars a year to ride. Like after that, <laughs> like, they do, like like they came right up to me. Right. Like, had a translator and I'm like, God, oh, just like, sorry, thanks for that. album. that's insane. They paid me a million dollars to straight the GP.
1: You know? Oh, geez. Um, but yeah, like I mean, so it's um,
0: kind of, you know, what that's a, probably what I could say, say to that. Yeah.
1: What a what a what if question for motocross. What if you had stayed for '87? You know, like what if you they, you hadn't signed for Suzuki? That's a great urban legend in motocross. You know, what what if you had, had waited to sign and then went back to Honda in '87? But um.
0: Uh, yeah, it's just a what if thing. I mean, David and I talked about it a little bit. I think it changed the whole con- um, landscape of all of our careers on that on that decisive move. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave the Honda team. And, yep, yep. Uh, we we don't talk about it too much, but me and David have yep. like it was a pretty instrumental part of that our career and at that time in the, of the sport really changed the whole look of it you know because we really never raced against each other again david got hurt right and and uh ricky even went on and i think he was good for a little while but then he hurt himself too his wrist so it was uh you know it was almost like it was meant to just shatter apart like since it happened like that
1: yeah yeah um so were you were you at lake heron when david got hurt johnny or no where were you when you heard Uh, about it
0: yeah, yeah, I was there. You were I there. Did all, we did all our we did all our pre training uh, still together. Yeah, like, I wrote a dog check. Did they you were really? Pissed at me. Yeah, they were <laughs> pissed at me. They see all these blue frame marks on the woods. Oh, that's funny. They're like Johnny was out here, and I'm like, I'm like inside to me. Conde Land was my place. Oh, that's, and Jim felt yeah. my mechanic. Yep, and me, we found that place. So. Like, and I think they even shrugged it off. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, dude, we, we. I mean, I knew the caretakers. You know, like his name was Sid. Uh, David knows him. Like, they carry a gun around. Just like they just go, come on in, Johnny. Like, yeah, dude, I own the Shit, place. Literally. I have no idea. That's so funny, <laughs> David. Yeah, David. David and I still did our prep together. I saw what David was trying to achieve. Yep. I, like, like it gets pretty thick. We don't have enough time to even talk about this. David was on a mission because he wanted to beat Ricky so bad. Yeah, like I didn't even—I, I have to be honest—I didn't like what I even saw. Like my bike wasn't maybe as good. I was still pretty good on the yep. Suzuki, but I, that took a little while for me to get that bike more comfy, like a Honda. So I, you know, I couldn't run the speeds like even David was then, and I and I was just like, I remember even telling David, David, man, you're just like you can't ride like that's not you. And then yeah, like obviously uh, but we did have that talk, so and then yeah, wow. was it here on when he crashed in practice and my mechanic was the first to him. I still to this day, like I'll be honest, like and I, David knows it. I can't believe he tried to jump that downhill uh double. Like yeah. it was I don't know the mind mindset David was in and, and he knows how I feel on it.
1: Yeah, David, I've heard that. I heard the thing you tried was was, was silly.
0: Yeah, it was unnecessary for sure. Right. And I don't remember it as well as the other guys do probably because, you know, they didn't take a nap. But when I woke up, I had other issues, and I didn't remember exactly the lay of that double. But to me, um, I'd only been out there for a couple laps, and I wanted to just establish, um, you know, I was watching Bull Durham the other day, and Kevin Costner was trying to train that pitcher. You know, He's like, why are you shaking me off, man? I want to announce my presence with authority, you know. And I, I had <laughs> yeah, that. I was like, right. my first race of the year, man. I want to. I don't want anyone to see me going slow. I want them to see me and be like, oh, wow, yeah, man. That if he's going to go to there, then why don't we just sort of figure out who's going to get second? Because I, I knew that what Johnny's equipment was like wasn't quite up to par. Plus, he'd had a really freak and a terrible bike crash. that that took some time away from his prep. And so I wasn't feeling as intimidated by Johnny. I never really was, but less because of his equipment and his physical condition at that time. so I was like, I'm going to just demoralize everybody else with this intensity. And it was a part of it was to try to beat Rick, but I had already beat him at the end of the year on the 500 and in Europe and stuff. And so I was just like, I'd already won a lot and I'm just going to go back out and do some more. And I thought, you know what? What can I do that would make this interesting again? Because I, yeah. I I'd, uh, I'd, I'd done already a lot of things. So I was thinking, well, I want to rub the table. I want to win everything. And um, I just started riding way too fast. And like that that Hannah thing I told yeah, you, yeah. like you know, two or three laps, he would put down some kind of incredible speed. And it was you know, I would likened that to seeing Stewart at times do something that was like are you kidding me? Like, that's not even, how did he even think of that? Let alone do it and why, you know, it's great, but it's not something you can just expect to do all the time. And I was trying to make that my new autopilot and it was far from autopilot. It was like sketchy stuff right, right. and Johnny was trying to tell me and I was stubborn and yep. he wasn't my teammate. And so we weren't spending enough time around each other for me to really take him serious and, uh, to honor that a little bit and consider what he was saying more. I was just cocky and wanted to go to the next level and it was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And it led to that type of thinking like that. Oh, I'll just jump at my mind. So that's, that's kind of what led to it. You know, I'm thinking, how can I, what's the next chapter of me in the sport and in, in my, you know, Kind of greedy mind at the time was like, I want to win. I want to beat whoever else. If it's Rick, I don't care. Yeah. If if Wardy has a resurgence, I want to make sure that I can win. I'm not happy with third anymore. I want to win. I want to be the fastest because I had gotten interested in triathlon, and um, you know, which kind of pulls back the training thing we talked about a bit ago. You know, when I retired or, or whatever. I went, you know, as I should marathons, and I'd see world class marathoning and think, man, those guys are way better shaped than motocross. They can't ride a motorcycle. Yeah. Motorcycle on top of that, but they're in amazing shape. Then athletes they're amazing swimmers and cyclists and runners, and I just thought, man, if I could, if I could be more gnarly like like that. I wanted to, I wanted to have all of it, you know, because I was smooth and. And all that, but I wasn't as tough as Rick, or I wasn't as tough as Barnett, or I wasn't as tough as Rick, and I wanted to be. And so I thought by just being more intense and riding faster, it would just recruit more uh, energy and and, uh, the need for a a new program. Mm -hmm. And it was just really kind of too much too soon. I didn't ramp that up correctly. And, um, you know, I would add on a good note. It, it, racing and results wise, the last race I ever rode was in Italy, and I won, I think, everything the yep. super biker thing. Yep. And so I, I'm happy with how my career went, but damn it, you know, it's uh, partially why John and I probably don't talk as much, you know, or I mean, we talk, but yep. it's not, I can't go ride a mountain bike with him. We can't go golfing. We can't, there's a lot of stuff that I can't do with anybody for that matter. And so getting hurt, um, while I did have a nice career, it, it sucked to end it that way because, you know, what it meant for me physically was just a whole lot of can't do that, can't do that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I pulled away from my friends that were still racing because I didn't want them to have to consider that. I want wanted to think about it. Right. And so I just I purposely just kind of went into hermit mode a little bit so that out of respect for everyone else. Yeah. And then being kind of shy to begin with, is hard to sort of plug back in and just being in, you know, in the condition that I'm in. But um, I think about, you know, those days and I'm super grateful to have a teammate like Johnny and then even to have, you know, later on a teammate like Rick come in and um, kind of you know, light a, a yeah. little bit more fire under our butts to to pick it up a tad. And, we, and that's what led to the 86 Italy thing. We, right. We're dominant. Yeah. And if we we could have kept on, if Honda wouldn't have let Johnny down in that way, then um, there's no doubt in my mind that we would have been the top three guys for the next two, possibly oh. three seasons. Who knows yeah. what would have happened in our lives, you know?
1: I agree with that. And Johnny, for you, uh, you, yeah, you're getting paid a lot of money, but in early 87, like, like David says, you hurt your, you hurt yourself in a bicycling accident, you hurt your knee, you're riding a bike that is not on the level of what you're used to, your best friend won't ride a motorcycle again. Those are probably some dark days for you, Osho.
0: Oh, I'm scarred for life on it still to this day. Like, they're, yep. they're not, they're, uh yeah, like, well, I still raced another three or four years, but it was different for me, and, um, uh, Yep. Not all not all that fun, you know for sure, it was more just business for me trying to I kind don't of like land that seven forty seven I said earlier yeah. you're like you know I want to make sure I'm' healthy, you know like it scared the the crap out of me, you know, like seeing David, my best friend, like literally how can that happen to David like right. I literally that goes I still say that to me today because that was to me, the most technical, smoothest rider in the world. And, you know, sure, I'm right. People rank me kind of with David and image me like that. But I I literally said, like, how does that happen? Like, you know, like, like it just scared me. You know what I mean? So I basically I raced the rest of my career like just a little bit under my comfort zone. Uh-huh. You know, because also I was a little bit injured with my knee and stuff too and then I didn't have the machinery that I was as comfortable with. We got the bike working pretty good later and I and I think I helped the whole manufacturer of the team and everything better for the future. Um and then yeah, so but yeah, like it changed it changed my my whole outlook on uh on racing completely and uh I wasn't comfortable with it. Yeah. I'm still not comfortable with it what happened today, but like just just doesn't seem fair, but you know it is what it is, and and we all just move on.
1: Eighty nine Anaheim yeah, should have been yours, Johnny, too. That would have been nice to to, to cap that off that way. You know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like yep. I told you, like the couple years of the bike, and yep. then like that. And the eighty nine bike was pretty pretty good. I literally feel like it was almost a Honda. Like
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: like our whole mindset, like the the you know the the suspension, like uh, like we went. We went in that whole direction, the whole, but, you know, you don't get things happen. They weren't work spikes anymore. Yep. You couldn't make it happen. Like Suzuki had a great work bike. They sent me to Japan many times and I go, dude, can I race this bike? <laughs> like I can win on this bike. But, you know, that thing was like, you know, non-existent. You know, we had you know, the production rules in place. It takes two. Like it took literally two years to get me a bike that I was comfortable with, and I'm at the end of my career. But yeah, like I was pretty good at that in '89. Like I should have won that race. Everybody yep. knows it. I just broke the steer tube in half. Didn't even didn't even do anything wrong. I didn't case a jump or anything. Just broke. So you know, yeah, you know, I, I rode pretty good that year. The bike was pretty good, and then just uh, landed the plane. Like in uh, Cal- <laughs> Kawasaki, still wanted me as a test rider for Wardy. And machine and those guys, so I did all the stuff with those guys in '90, but that was my last year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great, great stories for, from both of you guys. Um, it's funny you're both wives, are both named Gina. You both have two kids, one girl, one boy. It's uh, that part is funny to me too. You, you, you never can get too far away from each other in, in life's in life's travels, you know, Johnny. So it's kind of kind of funny.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, you know. Like when I was you know away from motocross, sooner that he was still racing. And I started doing marathons and stuff. Then, um, you know, the, my respect level for his ability to go run a 254 or seven or whatever it was after Daytona, um, you know, that that stayed engaged. And then I got involved in Ironman, and really, it was it kind of stemmed all the way back from him getting me into running. Yeah. And then yeah. me looking at running, like, well, that's pretty cool, but and what if you could do some cycling too? And then I hated swimming. I don't think Johnny was ever a big fan of it either, especially out in open water. Yeah. But in order to do the Ironman, which I, you know, he was a big fan of Scott Molina, and I was a big fan of him as well, and Dave Scott, Mark Allen, those guys. But the what Johnny helped me accomplish in in motocross as a friend and a teammate in the physical side of it, off the bike, materialized into doing the Ironman. And our friend Tom Mueller, you know, talking me into my first triathlon in like '85, I think. And so, you know, when our careers were over, all that fitness and the stuff that we did together—that we still had all that—that that money was still in the bank, so to speak—and we just pulled from it. And you know, what the guys, some of the guys today would think, well, that's just too much. But you know, it, it was not important just for motocross, but in the life and in our mm-hmm. lifestyle that enabled me to go do. And, you know, win a division at Ironman and Johnny to win mountain bike titles and me to just kind of go like, hey, how about Ram? We yeah. have that ability yeah. even though we're older because we did all that work um, when we were in our, you know, yeah. early 20s. And so I'm grateful for that, Johnny. And, and um motocross was a, a really neat sport. And even though it ended funky for me, it, it – um I still keep an eye on it. It gave me an amazing life. I met Gina that way and got to travel around and and to take her back to Italy and for Gina and Gina to go hang out one day, Yeah, Um, you know, and Stephanie and stuff. That was really nice of them to do. And, you know, whatever, How 30 years later, you know, it it went by fast. And um, I'm super happy because Gina wasn't there. You know, and this unit wasn't there, but they got to go see it and kind of get a sense of, you know, this was a big deal, and it's kind of happening again because yeah. of what you guys accomplished. So it's um it's really rewarding, you know, to look back over.
1: Well, well said. Uh, Osho uh, and, and David Bailey, thanks for the time, you guys, on the Fly Racing Race podcast. Lifelong friends. You'll stay that way forever. Uh, the stories are amazing. Your legacies are great. Uh, I absolutely love that period of time in motocross myself, and uh, lots of respect for both of you two guys and on everything you've done. Thanks for the time on the show, man. Both of you guys. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you very much, guys. uh, Honor to have us on there, and uh, love love all you guys, man. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show.
0: There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? And right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The hurricane, Bob I love
1: the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. you're not beating Roger. are you crazy they're not doing it
0: if they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days they're fools they're different bikes different times the beast from the east damon bradshaw it got to the point where i didn't want to leave home and once i got to the race i wasn't into it if i wasn't going to give hundred percent i'm not going to take the money the working class hero Doug henry